So Dave, I had a catastrophic experience trying to reset my Hyatt password. Oh no. What, what happened? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the Hyatt folks told me that I needed to reset my password. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, you know, I thoroughly checked the email, made sure it wasn't a phishing, whatever, uh, mm-hmm. and went over to the Hyatt website and, uh, then asked for the for the reset. Reset, please reset my login. I said, and uh, it said, okay, uh, happy to do that. Um, first, uh, would you please enter your email address? Mm-hmm. And I said, okay. And uh, wait a minute, this web page is insecure. Hmm. And I said, well, hold on. Let me. Maybe I'm submitting. Maybe I'm on an insecure page, but I'm. I can submit to uh, to a secure form, right? Right. No right. such luck. No such luck. That, that's not possible. So uh, I. Then, you know, put my big, big boy pants on and uh, just went ahead and, and did it and uh, submitted mm-hmm. my email address. And uh, then uh, the password reset f- uh, form uh, failed. It, it, uh, it gave me an internal server error. Hmm. Nice. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. Whoever's got my Hyatt password, uh, knock yourself out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mean, meanwhile, um, I guess you won't be booking anything on, on the Hyatt website. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, uh yeah, sorry about that, Hyatt. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe you should talk to your infosec team. Wow, I hate that. Well, at least it's, well, hopefully you could do more than a, a four digit, four four numbers uh, for your password, uh, unlike yeah. uh, <laughs> IHG. IHG. Yeah. 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 Uh, all right. So, how are you doing? How's how's uh, how's how, how's the robot competition business? So we're done. We're done. Um, went to St. Louis and we're back and everything. Um, so that was a, a really neat experience. Just like humongous, like robotics fest. Um, it was. It was just incredible. You can imagine like a humongous trade show floor, uh, but instead of like ten by ten booths of vendors, it was ten by ten booths of schools with robots in them, um, and just people <laughs> running around. And you know, it, it was it was amazing. And they had. Uh, uh, it was just a, a great experience, and uh, I saw too that the. Uh, uh, remember we talked about Robo Loco. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah the so Loudoun the, County, uh, the Loudoun County crew. They, yeah, they got sto- it got stolen, uh, so it got recovered. Uh, they found it. Oh, nice. Oh, yep, great. It, yeah. So, but it wound up, I guess, being too late for the world championship. They were, I guess, they built a robot and you know, another one, and they took it out. But um, the police found. Uh, Basically, I guess it was a car with a U-Haul trailer or something like that. And then they they found the trailer, but they lost the car. I guess it went to a chop shop. And then, but the robot was in the back uh, in the trailer, still in, wrapped in the plastic bag, all sealed up. Um, you know, like they do for the competition. So, oh, um, okay, yeah, some good news, uh, I guess. Uh, so th- that was pretty interesting. Yeah, I guess. Well, better late than never, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so, w- w- what do we got going on this week? Okay, so it's all about control this week, Dave. It's mm-hmm. about uh, controlling the mind, mm-hmm. uh, controlling the body, uh, mm-hmm. controlling your drones, yep. uh, and also uh, RHEL 6.7's in beta, uh, JBoss EAP 6.4 uh, is out, and, uh, and I just did a DevOps Days in Austin, which I want to talk about. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So to, to, for people to get in control, uh, where, where should they go? Yes, uh, they can get all the control they need at uh, dgshow.org. Uh, D is in Dave, G is in Gunner, show.org. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's on the cutting room floor this week, Dave? So we have some horrifying headshots. So you and I, who have to hand out headshots a lot, um, it, it was it creeped, both, I think, both of us out equally. Uh, so people should check that out. Um, 
there's also a random startup generator uh, uh, for uh, websites, uh, a, a random uh, startup uh, company announcement uh, press release generator uh, you could do. And then there's an a audio file of an unintelligible uh, 90s uh, hard rock guy. Okay, so what's the latest on the cockroach front? Yeah, so, um, in, you know, we, we were talking the other time about controlling cockroaches uh, with uh, you know, remote-controlled cockroaches. Uh, I found another way where you can actually uh, control a person's movements uh, using your own brain. Horrifying. Yeah, yeah. Horrifying. So, there's, so not, just, not just controlling your own movements with your brain, but like someone else's movements. Exactly. Exactly. And so um, there's a TED talk for it. Uh, you could check it out. It's like five minutes, uh, but it's it's Arduino powered. Um, and so basically, what happens is you wear this these sensors. Like he puts these sensors on on. A, they have somebody from the audience come up. They put these two sensors on on this lady's arm, um, and then uh, it, whenever she thinks about moving her arm, it'll send electrical impulses that will get intercepted by those sensors. Um, the the sensor will read them, broadcast that to another uh, device that will send those electrical impulses into another person's body, which will make that other person's arm move. So I understand there are uh, practical joke kind of applications to this, but uh, is there anything you know like genuinely useful somebody could do with this technology? Yeah, I could imagine from like maybe a physical therapy standpoint, uh, possibly. I, I don't know, and, and I can imagine some sort of medical use. Um, what was in, really interesting about it was, um, it's not like one. Of, it was really counterintuitive and bizarre. But the guy walked up to the ladies, uh, walked up to the lady that had the the input side of it. Um, he walked up and like grabbed her arm and moved her. You know, he moved her arm, but the other guy didn't move his arm because she wasn't thinking to move her arm. It's, it's based upon her thought and the electrical impulses for her to, for her to think to, to do that. Huh. Interesting. Okay. So it's not like a, uh, it's not a strict one-to-one, like plug into the nerves attached to that arm's muscles. It's actually, it's, it's the, it's the brain part, not the, uh, not the actual, not the actual pulses. Okay. Well, I think it's the electrical part of the nerves as opposed to just grabbing somebody's arm and it's like, oh, the arm was rotated at 90 degrees. And and so instead of that feedback going back to the brain, it's more of the output of the brain telling the nerves to do something. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. But you can, you can actually buy this kit for home use. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Be a hit at parties. <laughs> or, or the uh, pre-check. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, they'll yeah. laugh and laugh. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love it. That's great. Yeah. So, what's a, uh, what's the latest on uh, on airline security? By the way, I see you got a note here about uh, a hijacking warning. Oh yeah, remember how we talked about um, you know people hacking Wi-Fi? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because because the navigation systems and uh, and your YouTube videos are on the same network on an airplane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's mm-hmm. Not air gapped and everything. Um, so I guess uh, you know we talked about it on the show. I guess the uh, uh, the FBI and TSA listened to our show uh, because they've issued a warning uh, to the airlines saying that be on the lookout for this. Um, and so they 
uh, posted an alert on their uh, FBI's InfraGuard site uh, as a private industry notification uh, that advises airline staff to be on the lookout for signs that any passengers might be able to try and they may be able to uh, connect to the network ports that are located beneath their seats. <laughs> right. The thing that the, the thing that you designed the airplane to do. Yeah. Make sure nobody you nobody actually does that. So no wait. Now it's but think about this. It's not just air gapped, but underneath your seat there's a network port. <laughs> Well, yeah, because you don't want latency or bandwidth to get in the way of uh, you hacking the navigation system, right? Yeah, you're gonna, yeah. just a clear shot straight to yeah. the uh, straight to the nav computer. Yeah, and then um, and then the other part is that uh, uh, it describes uh, the that uh, flight crew should be uh, reporting evi- any evidence of suspicious behavior concerning uh, aviation wireless signals, including social media messages with threatening references to onboard systems um, and air traffic control networks. Right. How so, are the flight crews going to know this? <laughs> well, you know, they are all highly trained network engineers. Yeah. Well, don't they have like a day job that, you know. <laughs> well, yeah. they're devoted. They're devoted to our safety in all in, in any number of ways. And that extends to uh, that extends to cyberspace as well. Yeah. Monitoring social networks. For all that. <laughs> but yeah, I, I encourage people look in the show notes because it actually talks about like one of the guys. I think it was the guy that wrote the article. He talked about, oh yeah, I I like reached under the seat and I found the port and I'm, I'm he's like plugging into it and running like Nmap and you know it's just <laughs> hey let's see what happens you know and and we got more drone news. I was gonna say I mean really the only solution you know to keep an airline perfectly safe is just to make sure that nobody's actually in the airplanes right. So uh, what what news on the uh, coming uh, drone apocalypse? Oh well. Um, uh, there's a, a video out that's kind of interesting where um, the X-47B, I believe it's a drone bomber, um, it can now do air-to-air refueling. Oh, right. So it barely needs us at all now. Right. Well, you need right now, the refueling plane is human-flown. <laughs> that's just a matter of time. That's mm-hmm. just a matter of time. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, I was reading a. Uh, I was recently reading a short story. This reminds me of. Uh, it was about a, uh, a kind of dystopian near future where uh, there was a big war and it involved drones, uh, but the war is now over. However, uh, they have uh, the drones that they set aloft during this war are still fighting the war above our heads, uh, mm. so far above our heads that we can't see them, and so. Drones are fighting other drones, dropping chemical gases and explosions and things like this. And uh, periodically, safety drones who are uh, who are who reside uh, between our, us and the battle uh, raging overhead. Periodically, safety drones will uh, announce uh, a, an incoming attack, uh, you know, a chemical attacker or whatever. And uh, so everyone in the house hears this alarm, like an air raid siren. And uh, they have to put a mask on and then cower under their table. And uh, then they're given the all clear and they stand up. And this happens every 15 minutes, every 20 minutes. Um, wow. And, yeah, it's a, uh, it was a, anyway, a wonderful short story. Um, and uh, definitely has me thinking in different ways about uh, the uh, relative uh, advantages of, uh, of drone warfare. Yeah, well, you could think about, like, like a bomber drone eventually has to land to get more armaments, but mm-hmm, a mm-hmm. surveillance drone that is just like flying around, you know, solar taking powered. pictures. Yeah, it mm-hmm. could be solar powered. It could do air to air refueling and possibly never have to come down uh, unless it needs mm-hmm. uh, physically serviced. 
Yep. 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 Uh, yeah. Anyway, yep. okay, we should we should talk about something else. Uh, what are what are some other good applications for drone technology today? Yeah. So we talked last uh, you know previous time about um, the, having the drones go around with pepper spray. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and we suggested possibly extending that to like that Whopper uh, cologne, um, you know. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. yeah. And, and so now there's a guy that's running around, uh, uh, Katsu, a well-known graffiti artist and vandal. Um, he uh, has a drone that does graffiti. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. So if, if you go to the link in the show notes, you'll see it's like several stories up. The, you know this billboard and then it's like spray painted on the lady or whatever and uh you know it's not really art it's just you know pretty very crude you know a drone being remote controlled just spraying stuff on there um which i i just have concerns for the person that has to clean that up you know like you're putting that person's life at risk like if it's something that is like you know oh i gotta get on a ladder and i gotta scrub something that's that's one thing but now you gotta it either has to stay there or, you know, you got to pay somebody to put their life at risk to, to go up there and, and, you know, clean something off. Yeah, Not cool. Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, I suppose, um, I, you got to admire the ingenuity of that though. That's pretty clever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, so, so one of the, you know, that we're going to run into more and more of these as the technology just gets cheaper, right? Um, the phantom is already well within the range of, you know, if you can afford to buy a laptop computer, you can pretty much afford to get, you know, a pretty decent drone. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but, but what happens if I, if I don't want to spend the money on a drone, right? I, I don't want the sunk costs. I just want to, I just want a, something like a drone subscription. Can I get something like that? Totally. Totally. That's where you have a uh, drone base. Hmm. Tell me more. Yep. So, um, so you can rent a drone and pilot. So you don't even have to rent, you know, so instead of just like, uh, them handing you the drone, um, you get actually a person that can pilot it too. So, and it's actually, it's almost like an Uber for drones. So, uh, let's say I have uh, you know some real estate or something that I want to sell. Um, I can I can pay somebody to instead of having like a person with a, a helicopter or an airplane fly around and do the aerial imagery and take pictures or a video that I put on the real estate website, um, I could just have it done uh, for a fraction of the cost with a drone. And they're looking at doing that for things like um, like like I said, real estate, uh, construction, mining. I can imagine farming would be another one. Uh, that would be really popular. Um, so yeah, mm-hmm. and and so what huh. happens is you go to this website, I guess. Um, you order up uh, your drone. Uh, some dude comes out uh, and does the job for you, um, and then they get a bulk of the money, and Drone Base gets uh, part of the transaction fee, like fifteen percent. Oh, right. yeah, so it's exactly like yeah. Uber, right? Yeah. 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 And while while we're still talking about drones and. Arduino and all that um, made me think of Nirmal, um, where there's the uh, first donut in space. Where um, I, some people in uh, Scandinavia they they did a, a high altitude balloon and um, very much like what Nir- Nirmal did and and his uh, friends did, uh, but uh, they went the extra step of attaching a, a donut to it and um, like, <laughs> you know like a well, like a, a donut with pink icing and sprinkles, and then it went the whole way up into space. The the thing popped and then it fell the whole way down and they retrieved it. So, um, there's, there's a nice video of it. Awesome. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Uh, a lot, a lot of spare time up there in uh, Scandinavia. Yeah. It's those long winters, I bet. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah. Um, so speaking of, you know, drones and surveillance and, uh, the Panopticon, uh, you found an explainer for uh, all those, uh, all those barcodes on my driver's license. 
Well, I found an app. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. So the, the whole thing is, uh, so there's an article, it's, this is more like a standard journalism article that talks about, oh, you know, you, look, you flip over your driver's license. Well, you see this crazy barcode on the back. It looks like, I don't know, a QR code maybe. Um, and you're like, well, what is all that data there? And, you know, can you get that information out of it? And like, and I guess it depends, it, it may vary by what state you're in, um, where it could even have like your social security number baked into it. And so, but the thing is though, is that uh, a lot of times, like like you want to test drive a car or something, you, you have to hand your driver's license over to the dealer and then, you know, they could photocopy it and they could, in theory, they could scan it or whatever, or like you, you know, there are many ways that people could use it. And, but the problem I have is, I don't know what data is on there and what data I'm exposing. Um, and so uh, there's actually an app that you could you could pull down that um, will read the barcode and then tell you uh, what uh, tell you what the data is. And and it's actually not a um, it's actually meant for bars. So like if you you know like you go to a nightclub or a bar or something and then oh, um, sure. mm-hmm. yeah and then somebody has to get carded. Well, you could just take a picture of it with your smartphone and then it'll read it and it'll say, oh, this guy's over 21 or, uh, or things like that. Um, but so I was like thinking, huh, I wonder if I did that. And then I, I scan, you know, the back of my driver's license, you know, maybe I could extract that information and see. Then I started looking at the permissions for the app and it was like, oh, well it wants network connectivity and everything. So, you know, okay. (laughs) So probably this data is getting, you know, it's not, they're not doing it out of the goodness of their hearts. It's a matter of like, oh, they could take this data out and say that, oh, Dave is going to this bar or whatever. And, you know, because it could take the GPS location when I went to the bar um, and then send all that stuff back up. And along with whatever data is on there, like my social security number or, or anything else. So I didn't bother doing it. But, but if you want, I, I put a, a link in the show notes to, so you could install the app and, and try it out. Wow. Wow, that's crazy. That's crazy. So you could actually be, you could actually have that, uh, that like, uh, that geo information and your age and your name and possibly even your social security number sent back up to another company who you did not give express permission to, uh, just to go drink at a bar. Yep. Yep. Nice. See, this is why I don't drink in bars with bouncers. This is, yep. this is a good rule to have. Yeah. yeah, and it's fortunately I I haven't been carded for a very long time. Yes, well you got that you got that you got that nice head of hair on you. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. So you know, Dave, I haven't seen Minority Report in a long time, but uh, but I've always enjoyed the uh, the notion of a future crime. Yes. Yeah. So there. So where, where where are we in where are we in future crime now? Miami. Ah, that's nice. Yep. Yep. So this is a, a new thing that they're doing in, in Miami. Um, so they have some high tech software uh, that will take years of crime data um, and then they're taking that data, analyzing it and then using it to predict where the next crime is going to occur. Huh. So is it is this like a fancy is this like a fancy way of describing like a heat map for them or they, they, they're saying they can actually pinpoint the location of a, of a crime? Well, I yeah, I think it's more like a heat map or a probability sort of thing that it's like, oh, all these, you know, shootings or or drug whatever, you know, it's or prostitution, it's there's like a, a certain hot spot in a certain area um, historically. Um, and then you could probably base it upon 
you know, time of day, um, uh, you know, day of the week, uh, maybe day of the year in terms of whether it's some sort of holiday or things like that. And then, mm-hmm. and then they use that to um, uh, smartly uh, decide where uh, police should be uh, focusing their efforts. That actually seems like it makes sense. Um, I'm also yeah. uh, eagerly awaiting the, uh, the counterattack. Uh, which is criminals getting a hold of that information and then striking exactly where the police are most thinly distributed. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And and also, uh, what about, um, you know, can they make it public after a period of time, like, like you do like a FOIA request um, to get that data? And then can, say, like Zillow or somebody like that use that for um, assessing property values? Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. Well, I, I imagine that it's not altogether different than what they're already doing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, well, that, makes, that makes a lot of sense to me. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, so, Dave, I'm, I, and actually speaking of Zillow, I'm, I'm, we're, we're fixing to buy a new house here. Um, yeah. Yes, we just bought this house two years ago, but now we've got a kid, so we're going to move to, a, you know, a different neighborhood, uh, kind of an old-timey uh, 1946 little house over in, uh, over in South Austin, which I'm excited about. Uh, but, uh, you know, but of course now get, getting my hot little hands on, the, on a new house, I want to do a lot of improvements, right? Uh, mm-hmm. like I got to get that, uh, that hot water tank. I got to get that thing out of there. Um, uh, now that I've got a, a tankless heater, I, I can't go, I, I, I can't go back. Um, mm. I'm also intrigued by this. Uh, so this power wall that, uh, Elon Musk, uh, just uh, made available to everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Did you see the, the video for that? Uh, I didn't see the video. I read, you know, yeah. the, the reams and reams of, of news coverage about it, but I, I hadn't seen the, the video itself. Yeah, so he did like it's like an eight minute reveal video, and it's like it, it seems like something out of like a Marvel movie, sort of you know Iron Man, sort <laughs> of like you know it's it's that sort of like no, this isn't real, and and it, it like it, like a weird imitation of that, and like a cross between that and like a Steve Jobs sort of thing, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, just from a presentation standpoint, but. Uh, but it, basically, it's like uh, what it's a, it's about the size of I don't know maybe like a refrigerator door maybe maybe something smaller than that um, and then it's like three thousand dollars for a home unit and what you do is you would put solar panels on your roof and it would charge the battery by day and then discharge whenever and and then um, what you would do is uh, you know so at night it, w- it would discharge and then charge back up again and everything. Um, and he said that it would be good for you know areas that have like unstable power. Like I know, like oftentimes, like in in Raleigh, remember how um, th- they lose power a lot just because of the the ice storms and the you know you have a power interruption, um, at, you know, because the power lines go down and all that. Um, you think of this as basically being a UPS that uh, you know even if you have the conventional electricity. Um, this would be your primary source that would be available to you, and you would only dip into the the, the power line whenever you run out of battery. Um, so to have that, and I also, the, yeah, go ahead. Oh, and I also heard I, I also heard uh, of a use case where uh, you could have have the battery actually store power when power is cheapest. Yes. So, uh, for instance, you know, if you still have power overnight, you just suck up the cheap nighttime power uh, and yes. then dispense it during the day when power is more expensive. That's right. And and so, yeah, so if you you don't have to have solar panels to take advantage of this, you could do like just like what you said is like if you have variable uh, electricity uh, rates, uh, you could take advantage of that. I, I, mm-hmm. Like probably for you in Austin, this would be a good deal, whereas – you know, because as far as, you know, getting sunlight, whereas in Ohio, it's like, 
cloudy a lot and and it, you know for solar power it's it's going to take a while to uh i think for it to be cost effective yeah yeah i think that's right yeah i wonder what the i'm I would be interested to see the numbers on, you know, if you have to put down $3,000 to get one of these latched onto your house, um, exactly how long does it take to get the 3000 back, um, yep. you know, on solar or uh, wind or, you know, or, or nothing, right? Or just uh, playing, the, playing the rate game. Um, yeah, so or if, if they make it so that, you know, whatever excess power you have, you pump it back into the grid and you get paid back, um, that, mm-hmm. that could in- yeah. create a positive incentive. Um, and then, oh, you could do like an arbitrage thing where you like store up the power overnight and then just feed it back to the power company during the day. Yes, true. When the, true. when the rate is higher, right? Yeah, profit. And one of the things that he <laughs> talked about too was uh, it's not just like for your home. They actually have ones that you could put in businesses. And there's a thing that he called, I believe it was Gigafactory One, which was um, think of it as like a big hunk and like building filled with batteries with solar panels on top. And, and that would be the, an electric provider, um, uh, for people. And, um, yeah. And it looks like they're open sourcing the design and they, and I don't, I'm sure they didn't open source the battery design, but it was more probably the, the power company, uh, design very much like my guess is like open compute sort of thing of like how to do a power plant and then make it really easy to populate it with their batteries. So maybe maybe you know in order to figure out the calculations on whether it's worth dropping three thousand on this, um, maybe I'll maybe I'll crack open a spreadsheet, you know, build build some macros. Yeah, build some macros, yeah. put them in there. That, that somebody gives you calculations for me. Yeah, like yeah. Some, actually, I, would, I mean, maybe I'll just go on the internet and go find a find a, an Excel spreadsheet that somebody already did. That's probably easier than doing it myself, right? Right, right. Because it's like you won't get like a, a they don't have viruses and macros anymore, right? Yeah. God, what is this? Nineteen ninety five? No, of course not. No, yeah. Microsoft already saw that, right? Yep. No, no. The, um, it seems like that's uh, that's coming back into vote um, that that the you know these macro viruses that you have, and to me it's like okay, that's fine. Um, but the the thing is, is that um, what I think what people often forget is that if you're using something like Google Docs, which can also do macros, um, you mm-hmm. could pick up a virus that way too because. Um, you know, if you're just randomly opening up somebody else's Google Drive and then you just, you know, you know how it easy it is for people to say, yeah, permission, sure, yeah, we'll do this. And then you run it. Um, it could do some really bad things to your cloud drive. Yep, yep, yeah. Yeah, it's a, yeah viruses don't need to, you know, it doesn't need to write to a master boot record to be a virus, right? Um, yeah. It can, uh, you can do all kinds of damage, uh, even within the confines of uh, uh, whatever security policy you've set in your browser. Uh, for yep. sure, yeah. JavaScript is a real life programming language. Uh, it's an all singing, all dancing programming language, and you got to like take precautions for sure. Yep. Well, and, but also even like the Google script sort of things that that you have um, that will. You know, like, but aren't those a little more tightly controlled? Um, th- there are permissions on them, but you know how people just blandly say, "Yeah, sure, why not?" Because um, they don't know what right. they're doing. Um, and then before yeah, you know yeah, it, it's like it's reaching around, pulling stuff out, sending it around. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Fair enough. Well, maybe I'll just go back to Windows. Yeah. Yeah. Like Windows 10. Yeah. Yeah. Can I run that? And I can run that on a Raspberry Pi 2 now, right? Yeah. They, well, they actually put out a uh, Windows 10 Internet of Things core uh, for the Raspberry Pi 2. Okay. What does that, what do you suppose that means? Does that mean like yeah. small Windows 10? Yes. Yeah. So it's a, it's a special build of Windows 10. Um, and they call it IOT core 
And um, and what's interesting, it looks like it has what, what they call a headed or headless mode. So, you know, headless mode where I, I presume you do, it's almost like a, you access it through PowerShell. I don't know if it's like an SSH and then you get PowerShell when you get in um, mm-hmm. or a headed mode. Um, but the headed mode is more like a uh, non-GUI display. It's It's meant more for like displaying like a number or something like that, or, you know, like pictures or something. It's, it's not a full desktop, uh, to be able to, uh, do stuff. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting to see them make this play into the, um, IOT space. And I wonder if they're just like really worried as far as losing mind share of like, you think about all these devices that are in point of sale terminals that have historically been like windows based or, um, you know, the, the airline flight status things, when you walk through the airport, you always see the blue screen of death. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I, I could easily see that stuff moving to like a raspberry Pi kind of solution that, uh, is Linux based and, and everything. Um, so I can imagine that's, that's a market that they're afraid of, of losing. Yeah. 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 That's right. Well, and certainly, I mean, it's a, and not, not like it's taking away from an existing business, but I mean, they would be fools not to take advantage of this like phenomenal ecosystem they have built and um, kind of extend its reach into this kind of emergent space. Like that just, that makes a lot of sense, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. And then I, I saw that there was some other stuff about uh, Windows 10 getting into Arduino uh, with open source libraries. And that confused me a lot because it's like, even the way the article was written, it's like, well, uh, you know, Windows 10 won't run on the Arduino, or and it's like, well, yeah, no kidding, because it's a microcontroller um, with like 32k <laughs> of RAM, you know. So yeah, forget it. <laughs> right, right. Um, but what I as as I was trying to understand it a little bit more is that it's meant more for a like one of the things that they have is um, there there are two components. Um, one of them is Windows Virtual Shield for Arduino. So instead of you having an Arduino where you attach all these sensor shields to it for like accelerometer, gyroscope, uh, GPS, and, and you have the stack of all these devices, you could actually plug your Windows phone into it and then write a, a window and write a, a uh, um, an Arduino app that can make API calls to Windows Phone to read a Windows Phone GPS. Um, and so it's kind of cool, huh. but but the funny thing is that um, you know the uh, uh, the Android has been they've been doing that with Android for years now. Um, there's some interesting things where where you could uh, uh, take advantage of the sensor platform on an Android to be able to read the sensors off of that. Uh, so it's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, then there's that's, a, a, that's actually pretty clever. Yeah. Yeah, and then there's another part. There's Windows Remote Arduino um, where. It, you could almost think of, uh, at least the way I understand it, is that um, you could use um, like a Windows system as a complementary part of the Arduino. So, um, like you can, I can imagine using like a um, a Windows app talking to an Arduino, and the Arduino reads something or, or does some sort of sensor thing, and then the Windows application does something with it, um, as opposed to the other way around, where um, the Arduino asks something of the uh, the Windows, uh, the, whether it's a Windows phone or whatever the device is on the other end. Okay, that's a, that's a lot of Windows talk, Dave. Let's let's talk about some Red Hat stuff. Yeah, we need a palate cleanser. Um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so you're doing, you're you're going to be you're going to be at this uh, cloud without commitment thing, right? Yep. 
Yep. So that's uh, next week. Uh, well, it's actually Thursday, Mar- uh, Thursday, May fourteenth uh, on on the internet. Uh, little webinar. Uh, people want to join me. I'll be on the line with uh, uh, GSA and Cisco. Nice. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. And uh, let's see. We got the Red Hat Summit coming up, right? Yep. Yep. So hopefully everybody's uh, everybody's uh, bought their tickets for that. And uh, if you are going to the Red Hat Summit, uh, there will be a super special government lunch at the uh, at the summit, which uh, you should register for. There's a link for that in the show notes as well. Um, we would love to see you. Uh, yeah, I'll be I'll be um, doing a fireside chat with uh, Jeff Blank of the NSA. Oh, fun! That'd and, be great. And Michael uh, Tiemann will uh, uh, will open too. Oh, nice. Okay, yeah. great. Um, doing doing nothing for our reputation as uh, as shills for the NSA, but um, it's still Jeff's a super nice guy, and he actually works for the good part of NSA, right? The uh, the Information Assurance Directorate. These are the guys yes. who actually protect information instead yep. of doing the other stuff. Um, cool. And then uh, in product news, we got the Rail six sevens in beta, yep. um, which uh, some of the highlights, some of the stuff that stood out for me was uh, better AD integration, which seems like an ongoing project for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, also we're now shipping the SCAP Workbench. Um, yep. So if you did not enjoy writing XML by hand, uh, like a wuss, uh, you can now uh, do it using a GUI. Nice. So good for you. Yep. Yep. And, uh, and then JBoss 6.4 is out as well. So that, and now JBoss is now coming in two flavors. So now there's JBoss, uh, JBoss, JBoss Classic and then uh, now JBoss for XPaaS. Uh, so this is a, a, a packet. This is a JBoss packaged up uh, so they can run, basically, so they can run inside OpenShift, uh, mm. which is great. It's exactly nice. what we want. So speaking of passes, uh, did you see the Google Borg paper? Have you read that yet? Yeah, that's that's pretty heavy duty thinking. <laughs> it was, it's pretty serious. Yeah. Um, so the, the this is the write up of uh, basically this is how Google orchestrates containers and the they're calling it the Borg paper because that's what they call the project internally the Borg. Uh, it's had a couple other names. There's like Omega um, and uh, now they're now you know we're working with them on this Kubernetes stuff and uh, in the Borg paper they say that you know all the lessons learned they've taken from the last ten years of of building the Borg uh, mm-hmm. is going into the Kubernetes project, which I think is pretty cool. I think mm-hmm. it's pretty great. Um, makes me even more excited about uh, the work we're doing on Kubernetes than uh, than before. Um, yeah. Some of that, we include a link to some of the better kind of analyses of it. I don't think you necessarily need to read the original paper unless you're like really into that. Um, but uh, the new stack had a good write-up and uh, the platform also had a good write-up about it. Um, so we'll include links to that in the show notes. Um, there's really fun stuff in there. Like just the way that they look at problems is much different. Um, I remember there was one passage about uh, the way that when we write these distributed systems, we're frequently um, managing the efficiency of memory, right? Because that's like the most expensive and most constrained resource. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like how do, you, how do you get more memory efficient inside these like kind of heavy analytics jobs? And uh, Google actually turned the, turned it on its head. They were like, well, no, memory is not the constraint in this system. The, the most constrained thing is developer time. Um, that is the most precious resource that we have. And so anything that will make developers work faster, uh, we'll be more than happy to transfer that cost over to memory. Right. Hmm. Um, I thought that was really interesting. Um, just, it's a little insight into, it's a little insight into how they, just how they think about problems differently. Um, you know, when you're working at that scale, it was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, and uh, speaking of doing things differently, I was just, uh, like I said earlier, I was, uh, did I say this earlier? I was at DevOps Days Austin. Did I tell you? Yeah. That? Yeah, you did. Yes. 
man, DevOps Day, Austin, that's a, what a cool community they've got. Um, it's, uh, it's like a bunch of old friends. Um, you know, they all have like inside jokes. Uh, they've got, you know, a nice banter. Um, you know, they have, uh, uh, Anyway, just like a really warm uh, and inviting group, uh, just a really cool bunch of people, and uh, had some great speakers. They had like John Willis from Docker. Uh, they had Matt Ray from Chef. They had Matt Cote from uh, uh, from Pivotal, and uh, they had a guy from Ansible talking about uh, how they stigged sixty five uh, web projects um, over at NASA. Hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was cool. It was a, there, there's a bunch of, and I'm, the, I'm sure the uh, presentations and stuff will be up. Uh, I think they were all recorded, so they'll all be up for, for folks to take a look at. But, uh, uh, some of the, some of the highlights for me were, uh, there was a SmackDown, uh, between Matt Ray and, uh, uh, and this guy Boyd from, uh, from Stack Engine about the role of configuration management in a world ruled by Docker, which was interesting mm-hmm. to me. So, yep. and it basically came down to this and, it, and this was, neat for me because, you know, working with government customers, you don't often run into these kind of like cutting edge problems. But, um, so you think about a Docker image, right? So I can, I can create a Docker file and, uh, that Docker file can then create a Docker image. And then I put that image into production. So I suppose I could have the Docker file under configuration management, right? And then when I deploy the Docker image into production, I never touch it. Like if I want to make a change, I go change the Docker file and then regenerate the image, right? So this is the notion of like an immutable infrastructure, Yep. So that's cool. That works out nicely. But there's a there's a there's a second pattern, which is uh, yes, put Docker files under source control, uh, but also being managing those Docker containers over the long term. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, it, just a really interesting tension. On like the, the debate was whether one was right uh, or you know one was better than another. Um, obviously, the answer is you're probably going to use both patterns. Um, and you know, in the in the case of having an immutable infrastructure, that's obviously optimized for stuff like microservices, where you have containers that you know only stay alive for half a second and then they shut down. Right? That makes a lot mm-hmm. of sense. Um, mm-hmm. But then you have, you know, if you want to put longer running jobs um, inside a inside a container, it's uh, it starts making sense to being able to you actually want to manage the configurations inside those containers as they're running. Um, and so you'd use a tool like Chef or Ansible or Puppet or something to manage the manage the manage those inside. Anyway, it was just really interesting to hear them talk about the trade-offs uh, between those two. It was pretty clever. And the, the kind of overriding theme in the whole conference was uh, about how roles are changing because uh, the infrastructure tools have changed. Um, mm-hmm. And there's kind of a give and take between those two things, right? So um, in Docker world, like what does a release engineer do exactly? Um, because you know, in Docker world, the developer controls most of the dependencies because they're shipping the dependencies as part of their deployable artifact. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so instead of like instead of just handing over a bunch of code and then making somebody else figure out which gems go into it, uh, you actually have that's all part of the developer's responsibility. And that means too that the developers inherit a bunch of responsibilities that used to belong to other jobs like security. Right. So now it's the developer's job to make sure that they're checking all the boxes for CVEs, mm-hmm. which is not something developers are accustomed to doing. Um, nope. and so what kind of tooling would support something like that? Um, uh, you know, how do you negotiate this handoff between development and operations if there's any handoff at all? Um, like in the case of, in the case of the immutable, the, the, this notion of like an immutable architecture, there is actually no handoff, right? It's all the developer owns the entire tool chain. Um, anyway, just really interesting. It really got my mind, it really got my mind going. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it does seem like it has to be a conscious decision that people have to make or, 
um, you know, they can't assume the other team is going to do it. Like th there has to be a clear yeah. distinction. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> of who owns yeah, it. Yeah. There was a guy. Yeah, totally. There was a guy from Signal Science, I think was the name of the joint, uh, Neil G Galbraith. Um, or Nick, Gal Nick Galbraith. He, uh, he was talking about uh, all of the questions uh, that are not answered by like a containerized infrastructure. Um, so he uses the example of, you know, you go to Amazon, there are over 14,000 Ubuntu AMIs available for you to spin up, uh, which sounds great, right? But like there is absolutely no attestation as to the security of them, right? Mm -hmm. um, he was talking about problems on languages like Go, uh, which are statically linked, uh, mm -hmm. which means that you don't know what dependencies have been baked into the binary. Uh, right. And a lot of the dependencies are actually dragged in by the compiler. They're actually dragged in from like head on Git. Yeah. So in other words, yeah. there's like not even, not even like meaningful versioning information on it. So, you know, what's inside this go blob, you know, who knows, could be anything. Um, mm -hmm. anyway, it really kind of, uh, it made me realize that, uh, you know, this kind of fantasy world of, you know, developers can just like do whatever they want inside the container and bundle it up and ship it, um, is really kind of profoundly wrong. Like it, uh, the way that, uh, the way that, uh, the way that Neil put it, he says, uh, the third law of, uh, operational dynamics is that operational pain is never created or destroyed. It is merely moved. It's <laughs> <laughs> true. <laughs> which, true. Which I like a lot. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's totally true. Um, yeah, you don't, you know, just because you're in a container, doesn't mean you don't have to patch your operating system anymore, you know? Um, so yeah. it was interesting to hear that and then also see, you know, the releases from like VMware announced that they've got a, a Linux container distro now and and uh, uh, Microsoft announced their Nano, um, and it, you know it's funny for all these years people uh, throwing shade about you know how the OS is dead. Um, mm -hmm. The OS is so obviously not dead, right? Because the operational pain didn't go anywhere. Um, it's just it may be different people's res responsibility now, um, but fundamentally, you know, the traditional OS model like has a lot to and it can do a lot to enable you know the safe use of you know this newer stuff like containers, microservices, PaaSes, stuff like that. Pretty great. Pretty great. Um, yeah. And well, so I I've, guess, you know, for, I'm oh, go ahead. Well, no, I, I noticed too that like you got Nano, you have Photon and you have Atomic. And I, I wonder, you know, it's like Nano and Photon sound very similar to Atomic. And I wonder if it's, you know, we're living rent-free in their heads. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Well, actually, you know, funny you mentioned that because I was, you know, I, you know, working for Red Hat, showing up at a DevOps conference. I thought I'd be like the gray beard, right? Like the, uh, the, you know, the fusty, you know, big company guy. Yeah. Um, but I would tell you, without exaggerating, in almost every presentation I was at, somebody had something nice to say about uh, about Red Hat. Uh, it was really pretty cool, and I think it has a lot to do with this kind of this realization or this, uh, this rediscovery of all of the OS level problems that have been solved by OS vendors for so many years. Um, and now that people now, you know, now that every container is basically an OS distro, people are realizing like all of the work that goes into it. So we had people saying nice things about common criteria and SCAP. You had people saying nice things about the Kubernetes work and OpenShift. Uh, you had folks talking about um, how we handle CVEs uh, uh, better than a, than a lot of companies. Anyway, so it was really cool to get some uh, get some recognition from the cool kids. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Anyway, so there's going to be a bunch of DevOps days. I think there's one in DC in June. I if if uh, this Austin event is any indication, is totally worth going to. You should definitely go get yourself tickets to it. Um, so I think you can go get them at uh, devopsdays.org, uh, and they have them all over the country. Hmm. Nice, nice. We'll we'll have to put a link yeah. in the show notes to that. Yeah, you bet, you bet. 
anyway, I got, I just exhausted myself doing that. Uh, that's all I got. Well, cool. So for, for people to get information about, uh, um, if they want to do vandalism or they want to hire a guy to do vandalism with a drone, um, <laughs> or they want to install windows on their, uh, raspberry Pi for some reason, um, or they want to do air to air, uh, refueling or control somebody else's body. Uh, where, where should they go? Yeah, actually, could do a dgshow.org. Uh, D is in Dave, G is in Gunner, show.org. Great. Well, well, thanks a lot, Gunner. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Yeah, thanks, everyone. Thanks, Dave. <laughs>